Welcome to Makers and Shakers of Chinese History. I'm Mark. As early as 400 years before the birth of Leonardo da Vinci, in the Far East there lived a Renaissance man named Su Shi, as the Song Empire was also experiencing a Chinese Renaissance. This historic period witnessed an explosion in population, significant increases in economic capacity and power, as well as rising levels of education, arts and literature. Governments were run by art-loving scholar officials who were selected through a meritocratic system of exams and imperially orchestrated appointments. Our maker and shaker of Chinese history for this episode, Su Shi, was one such politician who shot to fame in his early 20s as a literary genius and was also known as an acclaimed calligrapher, painter, poet, writer, pharmacologist and gastronome. Fact number one, Su Shi was a model essayist. He came out at the top for the civil service exam with his lucid and eloquent essay, which greatly impressed the emperor who had high hopes for this young man. A common saying of the Song dynasty proclaimed that, if one is familiar with Su Shi's essays, he will eat mutton, meaning he will be able to pass the civil examinations and will thereupon live a wealthy life. If not, he can only eat vegetable soup. That is to say, he will not be able to pass the civil examinations and hence will live in poverty. But this rising star never really stayed long at the centre of political power. Several times he was demoted and banished in exile. Why did that happen? Fact number two. It all began with his forthright and independent nature, a quality that was good for creative writing, but not necessarily for climbing up the bureaucratic ladder and surviving politics. Susha had a very strong sense of justice, and he dared to say whatever was on his mind. When he saw goodness in anyone, he was generous with praise, but when he came across an evil one, he would go all out to point out the ugly truth, disregarding the consequences that may land himself in a predicament. But he never seemed to mind, and the first two emperors he served tolerated his candid style and his articles of critique. But when the third emperor during his lifetime came to the throne, it was game over for Su. This emperor, Zhejiang, preferred that his minister would simply obey him instead of offering challenges and criticisms. The new emperor found the blunt and daring words of Su Shi extremely vexing. This led to the biggest twist of Su's life story. He was framed by his rivals. Some say this was done under the emperor's instigation. His works of poetry were interpreted in rather creative ways that resulted in charges, including treason and less majesty. He was soon put on trial convicted and detained at Yusha Tai, an independent office designed to investigate official misconduct and corruption. It had a nickname, Wu Tai, the Crow Terrace. The incident, called Wu Tai or Crow Terrace Poetry Trial, also involved more than 30 others who faced various punishments, including fines and official reprimands. The incident was one of the most well-known political persecutions against intellectuals who voiced dissent against the rulers in medieval China. 
The Crow Terrace Poetry Trial almost ended Suchet's political career, but fortunately he was still alive. After three or four months of detention at the Crow Terrace, Su was released, demoted and exiled to Huangzhou in Hubei province. The incident was a heavy blow for Su, who found his future hopeless and was gripped by intense loneliness. Since that time, Su often went to a nearby Buddhist temple for meditation. He used the time to think and reflect upon his own life and the way he dealt with the world. Fact number three of Su Shi is about his manners and style of independent thinking and political integrity. When Su Shi got involved in the conflict between the Conservatives and the New Party, he chose to stand by neither of them. Even though he was opposed to the reform from the very beginning, he didn't oppose the reform itself, but rather the way it was carried out and the radicalization in the process. He thought more about the well-being of the country and the people instead of the fight between the two parties. When the new policies proposed by Wang Anshe were eventually abolished, Su criticized the conservatives, including the new prime minister, Sir Ma Guang, for turning a blind eye to certain aspects of the reform. Su lost support from both sides. You may wonder how his values and principles were formed. Here comes fact number four about Su Shi. He was a mixture of a Confucian, a Buddhist and a Taoist. He held the view of, when out of favor, improve yourself, when in favor, improve the world, which was Confucian. He also liked to visit Buddhist temples and had some Taoist friends and always searched for the freedom of spirit. Taking ideas from various schools of philosophy, he formed values and principles of his own. Some historians believe that Su Shi didn't follow one rigid set of values and standards because he was smart enough to react to different people and events according to his own judgment and standards. Here's a little anecdote. Once, all the ministers were required to keep to a vegetarian diet during the National Memorial Day, which was designed to commemorate the late emperors and empresses. Su Shi wasn't convinced and asked the minister who initiated the requirement, you are not a Buddhist, why did you ask everyone to abstain from eating meat? The minister replied, the etiquette for funerals doesn't allow drinking alcohol and eating meat. Today is the National Memorial Day, which is also a continuation of the funeral. Sue couldn't agree. We should follow our hearts instead of ancient rules and etiquette. How about this? If your heart is telling you to have some meat today, then come with me. The ministers split into two camps, one going for the vegetarian diet, while the others went for meat. Fact number five, Su Shi was passionate about life, which could probably explain why he survived one exile after another and why he loved poetry and art so much. When Su Shi was exiled to Huangzhou following the devastating Crow Terrace incident, he could barely support his family with his pay from his local official post. But Su Shi could always find joy amid hardship. He found a patch of wasteland to the east of Huangzhou and named it the Eastern Slope or Dongpo in Chinese. And he adopted that name for himself. With sweat and toil, he turned the wasteland of Dongpo into a wheat field and recorded his farming life with lyrics and poems. 
many of which have remained masterpieces for later generations. The lyric, Calming the Waves, was one of them. Listen not to the rain beating against the trees. Why don't you slowly walk and chant at ease? Better than saddled horse, I like sandals and cane. Oh, I could fain spend a straw-cloaked life in mist and rain. Drunken, I'm sobered by vernal wind shrill and rather chill. In front I see the slanting sun stop the hill. Turning my head I find the dreary beaten track. Let me go back. Impervious to wind, rain or shine, I'll have my will. Instead of wasting away in bitterness, Souchure explored new modes of writing, thinking and even cooking, creating the popular Chinese dish, Dong Po Pork. This leads us to fact number six. Souchure was a huge fan of good food. Now, a bit more about the dish, Dong Po Pork. When he was exiled to Huangzhou, he wrote a poem called Ode to Pork to express his fondness for the meat. Pork was deemed a humble food in the Song Dynasty. In the poem, he explained that pork in Huangzhou was so cheap that the rich didn't condescend to eat it, while the poor didn't know how to make a nice dish out of it. Su then created this recipe of stewing the meat on a mild heat and a little water. The recipe is now widely known as Dong Po Pork. Lin Yutang, the Chinese master of humour, was a die-hard fan of the poet. In his 1947 biography of Su She, entitled The Gay Genius, The Life and Times of Su Tung Poor, Lin describes him as an incorrigible optimist, a great humanitarian, a friend of the people, a prose master, an original painter, a great calligraphist, an experimenter in winemaking, an engineer, a hater of Puritanism, a yogi, a Buddhist believer, a Confucian statesman, a secretary to the emperor, a confirmed wine-biber, a humane judge, a dissenter in politics, a prowler in the moonlight, a poet and a wag. But according to Lin, all these titles are still far from describing Su She. I'll leave you with one of Su She's most acclaimed poems, Water Melody, Mid-Autumn of the Bing Chen Year, translated by Lin Yutang. How rare the moon, so round and clear. With cup in hand I ask of the blue sky. I do not know in the celestial sphere what name this festive night goes by. I want to fly home, riding the air, but fear the ethereal cold up there. The jade and crystal mansions are so high. Dancing to my shadow, I feel no longer the mortal tie. She rounds the vermilion tower, stoops to silk-pad doors, shines on those who sleepless lie. Why does she, bearing us no grudge, shine upon our parting, reunion deny? But rare is perfect happiness. The moon does wax, the moon does wane, and so men meet and say goodbye. I only pray our life be long, and our souls together heavenward fly. Special thanks go to San Liang Zhong Du for contributing to the content of this podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen. I'm Mark, and I'll see you on the next episode of Makers and Shakers of Chinese History.